I'm really excited to bring my message this morning. And um, it's been an interesting one to prepare. Because as I was sitting in my office and getting everything ready, I, I had loads of dis- disparate sort of ideas and I couldn't quite pull it all together. And I, I was struggling. It was, it was hard to get together. So I was like, Lord, I put it all down, shut the laptop. Lord, what do you want me to do? And I felt God say, do a message on this. I was like, oh, Oops, okay. So I went and did a message on something that I'd been thinking about and I wanted to do anyway before I'd done plan A. So I did a few hours on that, got, got quite a few notes done, and then I came down to the prayer room to have a little pray. I was like, okay, Lord, I'm just going to press into you now. And I felt God say, why did you change your message? I was like, what? What do you mean, why did I change it? I thought you told me to change it. He said, I think you were looking to change the message that you wanted to do and not the one that I wanted you to push through with. I was like, oh, oh dear. So then I went back. <laughs> So I've done message A. Message B is in the bag for some time, who knows when. Maybe just for me. But later on, I'm going to be speaking a little bit about um, when Jesus asked Peter to get out of the boat. And uh, he said, if it's you, tell me to come and I'll come to you. And um, I think there's a challenge in us that sometimes we want to do what we want to do. And we're trying to get God to confirm what we want to do, rather than listening to what he wants us to do. That's kind of nothing to do with my message, but I hope it's useful for someone. (laughs) So um, Vision Sunday last week was awesome. It was so good. I mean, I used to be given seven minutes to give the updates. I had 15. I think I took 27. Um, Who knows what's going to happen next year? We're thinking of producing a little book for you all to take away with all of the highlights of what's going on. I've said it now. Um, Sorry, team. (laughs) I won't be doing it. Someone will produce you a beautiful book. Um, And then I can just do edited highlights, which will be good. But it's so much fun to to stand up here and to to celebrate all of the things that God is doing. And um, he's going to be doing loads more in the new in this new season into the new year. We already have new visions and new, new dreams that are in some of your hearts that we're going to see birthed and see new things happen with, which is, which is amazing. Um, it's a great time to be part of, of Skylark Church. We love it. And I wanted to talk today about the 12th vision statement. So when you come in through the doors, you've got the first batch of four, then you have the second batch of four, and then on this wall here, just before you come around the corridor, There's the the fourth batch of four. And number 12 says this. We see a church not defined by a building or confined to a Sunday, but aligned with heaven and designed to make a difference to the ends of the earth. That's cool, isn't it? Let's read that again. We see a church not defined by a building or confined to a Sunday, but aligned with heaven and designed to make a difference to the ends of the earth. I mean, if that was like an essay title, it would be like, okay, off you go. Everyone write an essay on that. You'd all write different things. But it, it's really exciting. And it's exciting to be saying that on a Sunday morning in church because some people think that doesn't add up. If you're not defined by a Sunday or you know, confined to a Sunday, why are you here? If you're not defined by a building, then why do you think it's so important to have a building? And we're going to explore a little bit of that later. But we're not defined by it or confined to it. I think that's the important thing. We're aligned with heaven and we're designed, you are designed to make a difference to the ends of the earth. And that sounds like the early church to me. As I've been reading through Acts, that's what it sounds like. They're not defined by things, they're not confined, they're aligned with what God has got and they're making a difference to the ends of the earth. Let's set the scene for the early church. Jesus has just spent three years ministering with a close group of disciples, a group of guys and girls that he loves He loves them dearly. He has sown everything he's got into them. He's shown them how to live. He's shown them how to to minister. He's shown them how to love. 
He's shown them how to forgive. He's shown them everything. And then he's been deserted by all of them. They all ran away. And he's been crucified. And they're in that desperate place of doubt and rejection and guilt. Must have been huge. Then he rose again. And then he restored them. And he spent time with them and he built them back up again. And then he said, I'm going now and I'm going for good to the Father. But don't worry because I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit for you. I'm leaving something for you that's even better, than, bigger than me, more powerful than me in loads of different locations, not confined to one space. I'm leaving him for you. Go and wait, wait in, in Jerusalem until I send him. So they're there. As you know from the Pentecost story, they're in the upper room, they're praying. And suddenly, Holy Spirit is poured out. There's that amazing time of people gathering and wondering what all that noise is. What's that sound? Why are we hearing people speak in our languages even though they're uneducated fishermen? How can these Galileans be speaking these languages? What's happening? And God is pouring out the gift of languages, the gift of tongues, but he's also gathering people to a sound. And then Peter stands up, boldly preaches this message. 3,000 people get saved. It's incredible. And that gets us to the end of Acts 2, verse 42. And then we have this. This is from the Passion Translation. Every believer was faithfully devoted to following the teachings of the apostles. Their hearts were mutually linked to one another, sharing communion, communion and coming together regularly for prayer. A deep sense of holy awe swept over everyone and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Lord, we would love to see loads more signs and wonders to give glory to you. All the believers were in fellowship as one body and they shared with one another whatever they had. Out of generosity, the italics aren't mine, they're just there. Out of generosity, they even sold their assets to distribute the proceeds to those who were in need among them. That's amazing, isn't it? I mean, that smashes tithing out of the water. That is amazing generosity. Daily, they met together in the temple courts and in one another's homes to celebrate communion. They shared meals together with joyful hearts and tender humility. They were continually filled with praises to God, enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were coming to life. That sounds like a cool church, doesn't it? That's the church we see. That's the church that I long to be a part of. It's possible, but it's challenging. Because those things don't come easy. There's enough there for us to just go away and digest for ages. You know, I love, um, I've been thinking about Jesus recently and how sometimes his messages were so brief but gave such a lot of thinking time afterwards. He didn't spend all his time unpicking everything. He was like, there you go. Kingdom of heaven is like this, this, and this. If you've got eyes to see, I hope you can see it. He's like, what? Everyone must have been like, what's he talking about? And it enabled discussion. It enabled talk and, and just deliberation of what's going on here. So please, when, now I've read that out, don't leave it at that for the week. Have a look into Acts 2. Have a look at the end of that. See how we can be challenged to change. But before we dig further into there, I just want to talk a bit about rugby again. <laughs> See, I love rugby. Does anyone, is anyone here watching the World Cup? Yes. Some, not. Oh, not all. But don't worry, for a lot of you, I know why you're not watching the World Cup. Not only are the games at five something in the morning, it's okay if you've got a one-year-old, but um, one of the reasons is it just doesn't make sense. You know, these guys, they get the ball, there's no gap, there's someone in front of them, they just run straight into them and lie on the floor. What is the point? Why can't they run for a space? Why do they spend all their time just running into trouble? And, getting... and um, I used to think that quite a lot about rugby. 
And then I had to teach it. <laughs> I was like, oh, I probably need to know what's going on. And once I learned what was going on, it's blooming amazing. It's a beautiful game. And um, I normally just watch the Six Nations. That happens every, every year in February. But we have the joy of the World Cup at the moment, which is awesome. And so if you haven't tuned in yet, please do. But it's more important you read your Bible. So do that first. <laughs> I'm a few matches behind, by the way, so I don't need to be told all of the current scores. Uh, I just catch up whenever Sarah wakes up. So she's loving it. She's becoming a little rugby fan when she can't sleep. Uh, and it sends her back to sleep. But one of the things that has interests me about um, rugby are these situations. This is the current team, some of the current team, in a huddle. A huddle. I remember teaching um, football, and once you've sort of got your team ready to go, you've done a team talk, you've done your training, you've done everything, you let them go. And 10 minutes in, you can see it's falling apart, and you desperately want to bring them back together and say, okay, come on, let's look at what's going on, do this, do this, da da da, talk, talk, encourage, hey, get your head up, it's okay. We know you missed it, it's all right, because some people may have their head down and you can't get to them from the sideline, you've just got to wait till half time. But if when you're teaching basketball, it's a different game. Like, okay, stop. Beep, get them in. Come on. And you get into a huddle and you get encouraging, you get building up, you get communicating, you get talking. And I love the fact that in rugby, whenever they can, they get around together, normally with the captain talking and inspiring them and, and chatting them and encouraging them on. It's not just in rugby. Oh, that's the Fiji team. They're, they're rugby. They look like they're going, Jesus, or something. They probably are. Um, this is volleyball. Used to love volleyball. Um, not just the guys doing huddles. There's a lacrosse team. You can't see the lacrosse sticks on the floor there. Um, but there are more fans, by the way, for lacrosse than those three. <laughs> I think they're just a bit higher up in the stands in case they get hit by the ball. <laughs> I think it's a training session. But either way, the huddle is really interesting. And I, I, I see quite a lot of huddle in church in a good way. Let me read you Wikipedia's version of a huddle. In sport, a huddle is an action of a team gathering together, usually in a tight circle, to strategize, motivate, or celebrate. Commonly, the leader of the huddle is the team captain, and it's the captain who will try to inspire the other team members to achieve success. Thanks for calling me captain today. That was amazing, wasn't it? I mean, what are the chances? God is good. Similarly, after an event, a huddle may take place to congratulate one another for the team's success or to commiserate a defeat. It's interesting. And I'd like to say a small parable. Now, this isn't one of Jesus' parables. It's one of my own. Um, and it has been said, not by anyone here, some people said, have said to me, I use too many stories, would I just go deep into the Bible? But I feel like Jesus did a lot of stories, so I mean, good company. So let's go with stories. Let's go with stories. So this is my little parable for the day. It's only that. The church of Jesus Christ is like a sporting huddle, where a team gathered together in unity for inspiration, celebration, mobilization, support, encouragement, discipling, and a sense of belonging before being dispersed back onto the field of play. That's quite a cool one, I reckon. I think that could work in the Bible. It isn't in the Bible. This is not heresy. But I think that this parable falls short when it comes to prayer and worship. But I do think that we can learn a lot from a sporting huddle. And one of the best things that I think about a huddle when it comes to church is that a huddle gathers to scatter. 
it gathers to disperse. The purpose of the gathering in a sporting huddle is so that you do the thing together, but then you disperse to your positions. You disperse to where you're supposed to be, doing your thing. We come together on a Sunday. We come here for all of those things, but then we are to be dispersed. We are a sent people. We are both gathered and we're sent at the same time. And we are sent into, you are sent into so many different areas, your families, your workplaces, wherever you find yourself during the week. That is where God has sent you. And we come here to be encouraged and motivated and inspired and and what have you. And then we are sent out to the world. That's the sort of church that we're called to be today. To be a gathered people and a sent people both at the same time. And I think that's what I can see working in Acts. And the two things don't work in opposition to each other. I think this is really important when you look at the church that quite often there's a polarised view. Polarised meaning sharply contrasting views that lead to division. Sometimes we can be polarised in our thinking on this one. I think this is a generalisation of course and there are always people who aren't in the general rule. But for generations the UK church, I believe, has had a trend of being a group of individuals who meet together on a Sunday morning. More of a gathered people than a sent people perhaps. Gathered but not necessarily sent. I think one of the problems with that is it then leads to like a nominal Christianity that if you just go to church once a year, you're kind of a Christian, aren't you? You put it on the form that you're a Christian. And that has made historically it very difficult to tell people about Jesus because they already think they know him because they were christened and they go to church for Christmas. Now there's a generation coming through who don't write that they're a Christian on the form and that's very exciting for us because they're not immune. They're not inoculated just by having a tiny bit of a church experience. They haven't had any. The other end of the spectrum is a view that has been increasingly popular in the last few decades about the need to dismantle the gathered church, sometimes gently dismantling, sometimes smashing up the gathered experience so that we can be the real church, ascent people, a missional people, and just be out there all the time, not meeting like this on a Sunday. We don't need to. We just need to be out there doing the thing. We don't need to gather Sent, but not gathered. I think both of those polarised views aren't very helpful. They can be dangerous and they definitely lead to division. And we see a church that is both. A gathered people and a sent people. And that's not just some of the groups within the church. We all gather and there's a few people who are sent. That isn't the thing. We are all gathered and we're all sent people. You all have a part to play in this. And I just want, from this message, I want to encourage us to gather together. When, when you see the, um, the church so heaving at Vision Sunday now and at Cafe Church, you know that there is a culture of not coming all the time. Please don't feel told off. But I feel like if we can gather more and, and grow more together as family and learn more together and be encouraged together and worship together and motivated together and pray together, inspired together, share testimony together, more than we currently do. If you normally come once every three weeks, let me encourage you to come once every other week. If you come every other week, come every week. It's amazing. We're here, unless we're away. <laughs> but you know, don't, feel, don't feel battered by that, but let's be encouraged together even more than we do. And I definitely want to encourage us to be sent and for some of you, it's easy to be encouraged to be sent. You're like, yeah, I like that. When I say be gathered, you're like, hey, don't moan at me. I've got things to do. But don't. We want to be a gathered people and a sent people. 
okay, let's spend time with each other and then let's go out to our own Jerusalem, our own Judea, Samaria and the ends of the earth, just like the disciples were. If we look at Jesus' model of sending out the 12 in Luke chapter 9, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. When the, a few verses later, when the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Gathered to send, to gather again, to be sent again. This is a great model that Jesus is showing us and we believe this is what the church should look like. It's the same in Luke 10 with when Jesus sends out the 72. He appointed them and sent them out. They went for a while and they returned to him. Let's have a look in some more detail then at uh, Acts 2, which we read earlier on. And I'm going to read this time from the NIV because for some of us that's a version that locks in our heads a bit easier. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So what are some of these Benefits of a larger context, well, one is the teaching, the envisioning, the DNA, the sharing, the challenge, the inspiration. There's been a recent survey, I think I've told, I may have told you before, there's been a recent survey commissioned by the Anglican Church about um, staffing. Once you have a vicar, who should you staff next? And uh, a lot of the, uh, the feedback has come back that they should appoint a worship pastor as their next appointment. And that is because church the church no longer needs quite as much to be so heavily about teaching because no longer are the people in the congregation not understand, unable to understand the Latin that I'm reading in my Bible and therefore I have to explain it to you. No longer now is it just a version of English. You've got, you've got, not only have you got your Bibles in your pockets when you get on the train and wherever you go, but you've also got messages from around the world. You can tune into anybody and get fantastic teaching. So if all you came to church on a Sunday for was teaching, then you'd be missing out on so much more. What, the, what this report from the Anglican Church has found is that people are coming together to worship together and have that corporate expression of gathering and fellowship and of celebrating God together in worship. And so the church is saying, we need to get some people who lead us in worship because worshiping on YouTube is good, but it's not the same as the experience we have on a Sunday morning when we gather together. It's interesting, isn't it? But when it comes to teaching then, it's not about the, I don't feel it's about us giving you the really deep theological understanding, although we're just beginning a new process, a program called Teach, which is taking place in November, where we are going to be going deeper on Saturdays. That's going to be amazing. But we want to envision you. We want to share the DNA of the church with you. We want to challenge you. We want to inspire you. That's why we come together. We come together to have our hearts linked. We come together for unity, for that oneness that Jesus prayed about in the upper room, that unity and that, that passion we have for each other, that sense of fellowship and belonging. The world needs a place of belonging. And if we are just a sent people doing our things in ones and twos, then we don't have that sense of identity, that sense of belonging to something bigger than ourselves. And we're designed for that. That's so important. We come together to break bread together, to have communion. 
And the, pro, the point of communion is to remember. Whenever you do this, remember. Remember, remember Jesus. And so when we, when we come together we're to remember his goodness, to talk about his goodness, to, to chat together, what do we chat about over coffee? Perhaps we could encourage each other and inspire each other with what Jesus has been up to during the week rather than just something else like rugby or football or the weather or who knows. But maybe we can encourage each other a bit more. This church in Acts, they had incredible selfless pastoral care. I mean, it is crazy. We are not asking you to sell everything everybody owns and everything I own. We'll bung it all in a big pot and we'll distribute it as people in this room have need. That's an amazingly generous pastoral way of doing things. They shared everything with each other. They didn't consider anything that they have to be their own. That's, my goodness, that's tough. That's hard teaching. But that's what this church, that this church in Acts had. It was hallmarked by generosity. And one of our vision statements says that we're hallmarked by generosity. Not just with our money. If I speak about generosity regarding your time and your service, again, easy to hear. Generosity with your gifting, easy to hear. Generosity with your money, please don't go there. Don't talk about my money. I've got to save for tuition fees and I've got to have a pension in an uncertain world. Why must you talk about money? Why did the church bang on about money? I looked actually, the last time I spoke about money was 2016. (laughs) So if you're new today, I'm not banging on about money. I'm just saying that this church here was pretty incredible. They met in the temple courts daily. That's interesting, isn't it? They didn't just meet in their homes. Some people use these passages to say we should just disperse and just be in homes. They met in the temple daily. The temple was the place of prayer and of worship and there were two prayer slots every day. The morning and the afternoon, the 3 p.m. sort of slot. And it was that 3 p.m. slot that Peter and John were going to pray at. Peter and John went to pray when they met the the lame man. They were off to the temple to have that, that prayer time. They were committed to continue to go to that place of prayer and that place of worship. And they went daily. I remember seeing this little video once that said it was okay for people in biblical times. They didn't have real jobs. (laughs) I mean, to actually go somewhere, I mean, obviously the culture is facilitative of that thing to go for a morning and an afternoon prayer. And that's difficult for us, but they still met together. And they had a culture of celebrating and praising together. And it is true that you can do some of these things, bless you, in a small group. We can do some of those things in our homes. But we can't do them all. We're one body with many parts, not one body with a few. We're complete when we come together. The foot needs the hand, the ears need the mouth. We need each other. And it's like that huddle, that sporting huddle. We come together for a purpose and then we're sent back out to the pitch where all the action takes place. The passage then goes on a bit to talk about the fellowship and communion that does take place in people's homes in that smaller context. And we think that that is an essential part of church. We're not just gathered to be sent, but there's a middle ground. There's a gathering in homes in a smaller context. There's a gathering with a small group of people who, who, who can love each other and pass, pastorally look out for each other, where you can be discipled together, where you can have an, a, even more of a sense of belonging. Because it's easy in a big church to get, feel a bit lost. And I know some people here today will be feeling a bit lost. And we're sorry for that. 
We never want that to be your story, and it's certainly not going to be the end of your story. There's a place over here called Connect. Come at the end of the service if that's you. Accept my apologies now. I am sorry. We try to love. We try to connect with people. We want you to feel like you belong. And a small setting is the place where you might just be able to do that. Get yourself into a life group. Come along to a smaller expression of what the church is up to. That's where these people had their fellowship. That is where they broke bread together. So they, again, they were, they were taking the bread and the wine, but they were telling stories, I'm sure, about Jesus and building each other up. We think those life groups, those smaller contexts are essential. We meet as church, yes, but we also meet in homes. And from this place of togetherness, we find our strength to be sent to whatever context we find ourselves in. We've got a friend called Moses Mukisa who runs a church and now a huge network of churches in Uganda. And he's written a book called Church Begins on Monday. They are celebrating there in their church. That's off their website. And it says underneath, very small writing there, which most of you won't be able to see, I'm afraid. Sunday is garage time. So those are two expressions that he uses. Church begins on Monday. That's cool. Sunday is garage time where you come in and you get your tyres checked and you refuel and you get yourself recalibrated, make sure your wheel alignment is right. You do all the things that need to be done in your life in the garage and then you go out. And you're not supposed to come back the next Sunday with a full tank. You're supposed to have gone out and done something. That's cool, isn't it? Church begins on Monday. Sunday is garage time. I want to look at um, a little thing from Hebrews 10. Um, I'll get to that bit when I've read the first bit. Hebrews 10 from 19 is where I'm going to read from, and then that is verse 23. Hebrews 10, a call to persevere in faith. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Then verse 23 behind me. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. When I was writing this, I felt a a check in my spirit for somebody here, that's the verse you came for today. Okay, so that may be you. You may just be needing to hear that in a situation you find yourself in. And the cha- what God would like to say to you today is hold unswervingly to your hope. For he who promised is faithful. What a beautiful verse that is. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. It's a great verse, isn't it? Great set of verses. I love it because it contains some more reasons for us to gather together like this, to spur each other on towards love and good deeds and to encourage each other. And when it says, let's not give up meeting together, you could say, well, doesn't, couldn't that be used in a home context? No, it couldn't be used in a home t- context. Just from the Greek, and we don't often dive in too far, but there's this Greek word which I pronounce as though it's an African word. I'm not very good at pronouncing it. Episunagoge. I mean, come on. Don't tell me that sounds Greek. <laughs> but ep- 
I don't even have, what's a Greek accent? Episunagoge, I and mean, that doesn't sound Greek either. Anyway, ep, there's this word, episunagoge, and sorry the Greek speakers and the, the, you know, the people who know this inside out. You could shout it out if you like, Wendy, or someone else. Um, anyway, episunagoge, and that's a gathering together in one place. Good. It's also an assembly of worship, great. It's a complete collection. That's interesting, isn't it? That, don't give up meeting together, as a complete collection. This is, a, this is being written to the church of Thessalonica, and it's saying, don't give up meeting together as a complete collection. And that word is only used one more time. Sorry, this, this is the Hebrews bit. It's also used in Thessalonians. And the people in Thessalonia, Thessalonica had started to believe that maybe they'd missed the day of the Lord. Maybe he'd, the second coming had already come and they'd missed it. And um, that word is once again used there to say, look, don't panic. When the Lord comes to gather together his people. It's the only other time in the Bible that word's used. A complete collection, a, a, an assembly of all of the believers. This is not a small gathering. This is a big one. So the writer of the Hebrews is saying, come on, don't neglect coming together. This is important that you do it. And in fact, even more so, meet together more and more. Jesus encouraged the 12 and the 72 when they went out and they came back. And sometimes we need encouragement to be a sent people. So yes, we gather and yes, we can see that that's important. Now let's talk a bit about sending for the last 10 minutes. We need courage to be sent. It's so difficult. There's this verse that says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And I am hoping that by the end of my life, it can be true in my life. And I'm, I'm one of the guys who leads this church. It's really easy to say I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's really hard to live as though that's true. It's really hard. In every situation, every circumstance, I'm not ashamed to stand up and be counted. I'm, I'm not ashamed to cut across that conversation. I'm not ashamed to be heard speaking about Jesus on the train. I'm not ashamed in wherever I find myself. I want to be that person. I'm not that person yet. And I think that the fear that we get tied up with can prevent us from really being the hands and feet of Jesus. Because we feel tongue-tied, we feel trapped, we feel nervous, we feel scared, we're like, I can't do it. We need to have courage when we're sent. We need to have courage to be his hands and feet. We need to have courage to speak out when he's asking us to speak. To be a voice for the voiceless sounds like a great concept, but requires a lot of, in, lot of courage. And if you look at the roots of the word, encourage, to put courage in. When we come together, we encourage each other. We encourage. We get some courage into each other to go out and be his hands and feet. I spoke to the staff team on Wednesday uh, about the, the need for us to be courageous. And as part of us gathering together is to encourage, I want to bring this to you now, to encourage you to be courageous as you go on your way. It's from the story when Jesus walks on the water and Peter does too. As soon as from um, Matthew 14, as soon as the people were fed, Jesus told his disciples to get into their boat and go to the other side of the lake while he stayed behind to dismiss the people. After the crowds dispersed, Jesus went up into the hills to pray. And as night fell, he was there praying alone with God. 
but the, but the disciples who were now in the middle of the lake ran into trouble for their boat was tossed about by the high winds and heavy seas. At about four o'clock in the morning, Jesus came to them walking on the waves. When the disciples saw him walking on top of the water, they were terrified and they screamed, there we go, a ghost. They, they screamed, it's a ghost. And Jesus said, be brave and don't be afraid. I am here. So they see this, what I think is an apparition walking on the waves towards them. And Jesus says, be brave and don't be afraid. I am here. As you go out this week, remember that line. Be brave. Don't be afraid. I am here. Let it fuel you on the inside. For that situation, for that circumstance, for that conversation, for that confrontation, whatever you have to do this week that you're dreading, be brave. Don't be afraid. I am here, says God to you today. And Peter shouted out, Lord, if it's really you, then have me join you on the water. Come and join me, Jesus replied. Whatever God may be calling you to, let's not do what I tried to do with this message, which is do the things you want to do and tell God to bless it. But let's say, Lord, if, you, if this is you calling me to do this thing this week, then call me to come to you. Help me to know your voice. Help me to know what it is you want me to do and not just what I fancy doing. So Peter stepped out onto the water and began to walk towards Jesus. When he realized how high the waves were, he became frightened and started to sink. Save me, Lord, he cried out. And Jesus saved him, took him back to the boat. It takes courage to walk on water. Whatever you're going to face this week, in being the hands and feet and the voice and the heart of Jesus, you're bound to need some courage. So remember that this week. Be brave. Don't be afraid. He's right with you. Peter sank in the water, yet he's the only person I know of in history who has walked on top of water. There may be, well be failures, there may be things that go wrong, but it's okay. It's okay. If he's calling you to it, he's right there with you. And then... When he shouts out, save me, Lord, that takes courage. How many people are floundering in their day? How many people in this room are floundering maybe with, with mental health issues? With things they're finding difficult, situations that are tough? It takes massive courage to admit vulnerability. To say, I am drowning, I, I need some help. That's why we gather, to love each other, to help each other, to be family together. That's why we need to gather in homes, to love each other and support each other. There may be some people here today who are just saying, I, I'm not, it's not the walking on the water thing that's the issue for me. It's not that at all. I've been brave. I'm trying to be brave. I'm trying to not be afraid. And I know he's with me, but my situation is this one. Save me, Lord, I'm drowning. Vulnerability takes courage too. Sometimes we've been out there on the faith waters and something has knocked us on, off course. Maybe we're feeling like we're sinking. And in that moment, so many of us try to soldier on. God forbid us for a culture that has told us we need to keep a stiff upper lip. Being vulnerable and asking for help is okay. In fact, it's what we need to be doing in those situations. Help can be the best prayer we can pray at times, but it's something we need to be able to say to each other so that we can hold each other up. So as you go about your week, 
Take courage. Be brave. Know that he's right there with you in the middle of it. Ask him. What is it you're asking me to do, Lord? This feels too risky. This feels like, how can I possibly just keep walking from this point? If you're asking me to do it, then I can do it. He's not asking me to do it, and I'm not going to try. I would twist my ankle. But what's he asking us to do? And if you find yourself sinking, a cry for help is what you need. And we're here for you. We're there for you. We'd love to help you journey. Let's go back to look at this huddle now that I've added some prayer and some worship in there too. The church of Jesus Christ is like a sporting huddle where a team gather together in unity for inspiration, prayer, worship, celebration, mobilization, support, encouragement, discipling, and a sense of belonging before being dispersed back onto the field of play. We see a church not defined by a building, but the building is very useful. Or confined to a Sunday, although we love meeting together but aligned with heaven and designed to make a difference to the ends of the earth. We are gathered to scatter. We are gathered to be sent to the ends of the earth. As we come in uh, to finish, I just want to give us some opportunities for um, prayer. This may have spoken to some of you on, on many different levels. and I want to encourage us to gather more, yes. I want to encourage us to understand that we are sent, yes. But maybe you need some encouragement. Maybe you need some courage. Maybe you'd like to stand with someone and say, I'm actually struggling. I'm sinking. Help. Maybe there's something else that has jumped out. Maybe you need someone to stand with you in unity over a situation or a circumstance. Maybe there's something else that Holy Spirit is prompting in your heart. Just because I don't have an exhaustive list, please don't not come forward for prayer today. This is a beautiful place to belong. And our prayer is that you will find that this is your home, this is your family. Again, accept our apologies if that hasn't been your story, but that's where we're aiming for. And one day, beyond those 12 vision statements, how exciting it will be to see this church look like the church of Acts 2. Amazing. And can I encourage you over coffee? as it said in Hebrews, to spur one another on and to encourage each other today. Try those conversations rather than the normal ones, okay? Over coffee, there's your challenge. Spur each other on, strengthen each other, encourage each other on, on, on your journey. So there'll be a prayer team here at the end. But for now, I'm just going to close in prayer. Would you like to stand with me? Lord, we thank you for this beautiful church family that we're part of. Lord, thank you for the huddle that we're part of when we come together, for that encouragement, that inspiration, that sense of belonging, that sense of praise and worship. And It's just amazing. We love Sunday, but may we never be confined to a Sunday. And may we never be defined by a church building, even when you bring us into a new one, whenever that's going to be. Whatever you have for us, we're up for it, God, but may it never be our definition. Lord, we want to align ourselves with you again today. We want to encourage each other so that we can be sent out to the, the parts of the world that you've put us in. Lord, church begins on Monday. I pray that this has been a successful garage time, but may this next week be absolutely life-changing for so many people. Help us to be your hands, your feet, your heart, and your voice in Jesus' name. Amen.